Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. We'll be looking at absolutely maybe the best model congregation, model church in the New Testament era. This is a church... uh, in Thessalonica, by the way, that city is still around to this day. It's still a major city. We'll be talking about it. But that, this early congregation that the Apostle Paul established was held up as a model. Now, if you read, and I will read a little portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to you later, the, the, the churches in general in the area of Macedonia were held up as a model of generosity. And in today's reading, we hear that Thessalonica was a model congregation to the rest of the congregations in Macedonia. So do you get what I'm saying there? Thessalonica was a model for those who were a model of generosity. They were the highest level of a model, and that's why I'm excited with, about sharing this with you. We've often used the early congregation in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 as a model, uh, and you can read about that church in Acts 2, 42 to 47, but I'm telling you this church is also a great model for us. I am going to start out by reading the entire section. This is Paul introducing himself, and then we'll break it down in today's message. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 2, if you're following along. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith and God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. I think a question always for a church is how can we, few as we are, really expect to make an impact in our world? After all, it's a, it's a very big world. And even if we narrow the focus down a little bit to the valley, you're still at three million plus people. And for example, we, Crosswalk Church, are tucked away in this sort of southwest corner 
of the valley, how can we, is it not a little bit maybe arrogant or we have expectations that are set too high to think that we could make a difference, that we could be difference makers, even in this city? Of course, we can narrow it down further than that. We can think about Levine and South Phoenix. And if you look at the past 12 years, I think you would note that we have made, like a little pebble, a, a ripple in this community. But when we talk about being difference makers, is that hyperbole? Is, is that saying something that's way bigger, really, than what we can truly expect to be? That's the question I want to talk about this morning, is what, what should our expectations be for making a difference in this world? In 2004, when Crosswalk started, there was an event halfway around the world. And, and I know as Americans, often we don't pay a great deal of attention to what's going on in, in other places. Maybe it was because Crosswalk was just getting started, but this was an event that caught my attention, and it was an amazing event in how it played out, and it played out in the country of Ukraine. A gentleman named Viktor Yurishchenko was trying to be elected as president in Ukraine. Now, he had beyond stiff opposition from the powers that be. In fact, it was long suspected that he had been poisoned by the government. His face was horribly disfigured, and yet he didn't let that deter him. Viktor Yurchenko went ahead with the election. And it was pretty clear that on election day, he had pulled off a miraculous victory. But the government wasn't done fighting to maintain its place. And so it rigged the election to assure that the powers that be remained the powers that be. And they began announcing on the television that the, the current powers were going to remain in power, that Viktor Yurchenko had been defeated. As they did that on the state-run television in the right, lower right-hand corner of the screen, just in a little small square, you've seen this, was a lady that had been hired to sign the message to deaf people so that they could understand the news too. Her name was Natalia Dimitrik. Natalia heard the news and she paused. And I want to read to you what she signed. She refused to translate what she was being told and instead said, I'm addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. They are lying. And I'm ashamed to translate those lies. Yurishchenko is our president. Can you imagine? Well, the deaf people in Ukraine picked this up and began communicating it by whatever means they could possibly communicate it. One person, little Natalia, basically a nobody, 
made a decision in the moment not to pass lies along, but instead to share the truth. Yurishchenko is our president. I'm ashamed to pass on our government's lies. And that decision created what came to be known as the Orange Revolution. Over a million people showed up in Kiev, Ukraine in the ensuing weeks. And the government was toppled. Yurishchenko was eventually installed as the president of Ukraine. The reason I tell this story goes back to the question I was asking you at the outset of today's message. You see, we can often feel that we're too small or insignificant, that we're not enough to really make a difference, to be difference makers in our world. But what I love about the story of Natalia is she didn't let her doubts or her fears stop her. She simply did what she knew was the right thing to do, and pretty soon, a million people were impacted by that news. They all put on orange clothes and marched as one to Kiev. I think that's kind of the same attitude that you had to have if you were planting a church in New Testament Asia Minor, Macedonia, Achaia, all part of Greece, or even bold enough to go to the capital city of the Roman Empire, Rome itself, and, and try to plant a church there. Because there must have been, in Paul's mind and his team's mind, uh, a little bit of a doubt and a fear and a question of, are we overreaching? Do, do we think that, that we can really accomplish this? And I'm telling you that that there must have also been a doubt in those members of the congregations that were raised up by the Apostle Paul, doubts where they themselves also said to themselves, how are we gonna make an impact in this culture that is so affected? Everyone believes in polytheism, everyone kowtows to the Roman power. How are we as Christians ever going to make an impact? Author Philip Yancey uh, wrote these words, and he wrote them about the Orange Revolution. Listen to what he says. When I heard the story behind the Orange Revolution, the image of a small screen of truth in the corner of the big screen, that became for me an ideal picture of the church. The church does not control the big screen of our culture. It just doesn't. Go on the internet. <laughs> Go on Netflix, look around yourself in the magazine racks. It's clear that we as Christians do not control our culture. Our culture is the big screen. What Yancey is asking is, can we be the small screen? And even as the small screen in the lower right-hand corner, can we make an impact? In our culture, Yancey goes on, what matters is how beautiful you are, how much money or power you have. Similarly, though the world includes many poor people, the beautiful, rich, and powerful really are the ones who typically make the magazine covers or who star in all the new shows. Our society is hardly unique. 
Throughout history, nations have always glorified winners, not losers. Then, like the sign language translator in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, along comes a person named Jesus Christ, who says, in effect, don't believe the big screen. They're lying. It's the poor who are blessed, not the rich. Mourners are blessed too, as well as those who hunger and thirst and the persecuted. Those who go through life thinking they're on top end up on bottom. After all, as Jesus said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? You see, Natalia, in a small screen, at the very bottom of the big screen made a huge difference. And, and what I'm here to tell you today is when we look at this congregation in Thessalonica, and when we look at ourselves, even though we might feel just small, we can make a huge difference. So let's take a look at this first passage, 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. This, as I said earlier, is the Apostle Paul. He's the one who started this church. Now he's writing back to them. They're likely still a very small church. This letter was written maybe a year, a year and a half after he had founded it. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see what Paul's saying is, you may still be a few, few, you may still be that small screen, but there's something big about you. In fact, there are three things right off the top of my head I can spew out that are definitely big about you. I want you to underline these phrases. Your work produced by faith. Now, this word for work is sort of that everyday habitual work that you do. Basically, Paul is saying, you guys show up. And, and every day you show up. It, you're not flaky. You don't leave others in the lurch. You come and do your daily work. Then he goes on, your labor prompted by love, underline that phrase. Now this word for work, labor, it's, is, think, ladies, what do you think of when you think about being in labor? Think about a little pain? Think about blood, sweat, and tears, right? This is what this word means. The kind of work that you have to do that is not easy, and yet you go and you tackle it anyway. This is the kind of work that a lot of people turn around and go back from, but the Thessalonians didn't. And then the final phrase and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, behind all of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if, if you want to uh, think about showing up, Jesus showed up for you and for me. If you want to think about labor, if you want to think about the kind of work that other people might turn back from, you think about the cross hanging painfully there, 
to provide the perfect sacrifice for our sins, to assure us of eternal life. And that's why he talks about your enduring your endurance inspired by hope. This word endurance means you put a heavy backpack on your back and you start marching and you don't take that backpack off. Brian, you can relate to that, can't you? Brian's nodding. He didn't think I was gonna pick on him today. Brian's a former military guy. He's put a lot of backpacks on his back and marched long distance and not been able to put it down. That's the kind of endurance that we're talking about. All right? So here's what I want you to write down. The Lord affirms us. He affirms our faithful work, our loving labor, and our hope-inspired endurance. If we want to make an impact, first of all, understand that the Lord is giving us a high five when he sees this happening in our church today. The Lord loves to see a church. Now, we know that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, but let me also say the Apostle Paul wrote it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So not only is Paul affirming their work and their labor and their endurance, but God himself is affirming it. I want you to hear loud and clear today that whether you are making a difference here at Crosswalk or through your, your, your loving, responsive service to, to Jesus in the community or at home or at work, the Lord loves that. The Lord appreciates that. The Lord wants you to know that he is thankful. As much as we're thankful for all that he's done for us, uh, think about this amazing thought. When the Lord sees us responding to the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace in hope, God himself is also thankful for that work that we produce by the Spirit's power. The Lord affirms our faithful work, our loving labor, and our hope-inspired endurance. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. You have been picked to be part of God's family. I want, I want you to think of yourself as a sinner separated from God, and yet God came into the adoption agency where you were, and he said, I want this person to be my child. And through baptism, he made you his child that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but with, help me here, but with what? Power. When, when Paul looked at this church, he could see that the Holy Spirit and the gospel message, which always come together, were making a huge and very deep impact. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. How do we, first of all, experience life change ourselves? Paul's telling us the secret to it. If, if we want our lives to be changed, and trust me, we see this all the time at Crosswalk, 
It starts with the power of the Holy Spirit. And where do we obtain the power of the Holy Spirit? Paul also tells us that in this verse, through the gospel. When you come to church and you hear the message that shares with you Christ's death and resurrection and what that means, forgiveness, new life, eternal salvation, that gospel is working inside your heart to transform it. It's working inside of your mind to change it. And as a result of that change in heart and mind, behavior begins to change. Words begin to change. But behind it all is understanding love. When it says here, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God, Paul's using the word agape. And that love is a love that loves even when there's no reason to love. That's how God loves you. He loves you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And he's going to love you no matter how unlovable you might feel. He's going to keep on relentlessly loving you no matter how many things you do to, to sin against him and break his law and at times turn your back on him. He's coming after you in love because he loves you with agape love. Write this down. Behind our faith, hope, and love, as well as the resulting work, labor, and endurance is the gospel. And gospel means the good news of God's love, which carries with it the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to grow in your relationship with God? Do you want to become more connected to God? Do you want to become even more of a difference maker in our world and serve your life's purpose with focus and accuracy and effectiveness. What Paul is telling us here is, begin here. Uh, a lot of times at Crosswalk, when people ask us, well, how do I get started with volunteering? The first words out of our mouth are gonna be, well, go to the resource center. That's where you begin. There'll be volunteers there to help you understand where you can get connected and, and help you in that journey. And absolutely, if you are interested in volunteering, I'm telling you that again today. Begin there at the resource center in the lobby. But I'm also telling you, if you want your heart to be changed and if you want to become the kind of person that changes the hearts of others and the lives of others, if you want to be a difference maker, Paul says start here. Start with the gospel message. Start by focusing on how relentlessly God loves you no matter what, and he'll never, ever stop. All right? Behind our faith, love, and hope, as well as the resulting work, labor, and endurance is the gospel, which carries with it the power of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier that this was a model congregation. Paul actually uses that word along with the word imitator. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became, circle this word, a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
Let me tell you what that means by simply reading to you. And if you've got your Bible with you, you can open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It was too long to put in the notes, but listen to this. He's talking about the congregations in Macedonia. As I already told you, Thessalonica was the key congregation in Macedonia. Listen to what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. And then I'm going to skip a few verses. Listen to this. Remember, it starts with the gospel. Listen to what Paul says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What had changed the Thessalonians? Just simply focusing back on that beautiful gospel message that Jesus, for their sake, had become poor so that they might become rich. And that welled up in rich generosity of spirit. They became imitators of Paul and of the Lord and a model for all the believers. They began, in other words, this little church tucked away in a city that was a major city in the Roman Empire they began to spread gospel influence throughout the whole region of Greece, Macedonia, Achaia, back to Asia Minor. Here's what I want you to write down. The gospel has the ability to change lives. Life change works for our own benefit. It had clearly worked for the benefit of those in Thessalonica. Their church became a model church. But it also works for the benefit of others. They became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia to the benefit of others who witness our new way of life. In a, in a little while, I'm going to show you a video of the couple, Albert and Dolores, that I wanted to bring on stage and interview for this last message are out of town this weekend, but... I wanted them to share with you, so we videotaped them last week, and you're going to hear Albert and Dolores say, the gospel changed our lives. It has made a major difference, but also the gospel has motivated us to get together with other believers, no matter how, how different or unique. Uh, when we come together, we're powerful, and we Powered up by the gospel can make a huge difference in other people's lives. This is happening not just in Thessalonica, in other words, but right here. And you'll hear it straight from Albert and Dolores. Now, you want to hear something interesting? The church, thank you. I planted her there and... I still need to find somebody for second service, so if anybody wants to come back, maybe you'll come back. Um, all right. 
This church didn't get off to any grand and glorious start with a huge launch and all. No. Paul simply came into this church because he had, in a dream, been called across from Asia Minor uh, by this man of Macedonia, and he, he starts out in Philippi, he meets a, a lady named Lydia there, and then he ends up, this is the second city, Thessalonica, and he goes in, as Paul did, into the synagogue to begin to teach. And you can look this up for yourself in Acts chapter 17, Paul taught for three Sabbath days, and then a riot broke out. Why did the riot break out? Because a few people began to believe the gospel that Paul was preaching, and just like if we go back to the story uh, uh, that I told at the very beginning uh, about Kiev, the powers that be didn't like it, not at all. And so they rousted people out, started this huge riot, had the city officials trying to sort it out, took a gentleman named Jason, whom they thought was hosting Paul and his companion Silas, and nearly killed that guy. And then at the end of the day, Paul and Silas had to sneak out quietly at night after only proclaiming the gospel for three weeks just to save their own skins. That's how this church got started. Definitely not a grand and glorious beginning. But listen to what came out of that. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known. Do you see the next word? You, you think they're making an impact, this little tiny church? Everywhere. Therefore, we do not, turn the page, therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Like, everybody's talking about them. They tell you how you, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Life-changing impact. They turned away from the things that they normally put their confidence in. They turned away from the things that they normally were afraid of. They turned away from the things that they thought would ease their fears and grant them success, whether it was the gods of their polytheism, their, their own efforts, whether it was having enough money in their checking account, whether it was driving the fanciest chariot around, whatever they thought gave them comfort and hope, they turned away from it because those are idols. And they turned to God. And they turned with purpose to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. They turned like this. They said, on the one hand, I'm here, and as long as I'm here, I'm here to serve. And on the other hand, as long as I'm here, I'm here to wait, hopefully, and expectantly. You know what expectation is, right? In a few days, thank you for thanking me today for being your pastor, but in, because in a few days, as Pastor Dan left this week, I'm going to be leaving on a little vacation. I am waiting for Wednesday expectantly. I'm excited about it. We're going to visit our son north of London and our grandbaby Ashley that we haven't held yet. We've seen her, 
via FaceTime, but we haven't held her yet. I am waiting expectantly for that moment. Paul says he's waiting. The Thessalonians are waiting expectantly for our Lord Jesus to return and rescue us from the coming wrath. Write this down. Life-changing impact is the result of a focus change from idols to God, from dejection, the hopelessness of this life, to anticipation, to expectation. And when we turn like that, amazing things happen. And when a church as a whole turns and says, I am here to serve my Lord, to bring glory to his name, and to wait expectantly for him to return and take me to heaven, when a church together does that, we may be a small screen in the little hidden away, tucked away corner, a, a right-hand corner, or tucked away corner of the city, if you want to call it that. But man, when our heart is in the gospel, when our eyes are on Jesus, when we are looking and expecting his grace and mercy and deliverance every day, I'm telling you, God is promising us that together, great things are going to happen. Paul says this to the Thessalonians, but he says it in other places too. He writes to the Philippians, by the way, another Macedonian congregation. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one, together. Imagine what we can do together, Paul says. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You've heard me say many times that I didn't grow up as a Christian. And I always think of the family that introduced Christ to me and me to Christ. This family was so amazing because... As I've shared before, I was extremely resistant, but they took all my doubts, all my complaints about Christianity, all my resistance, and they just took it in and patiently dealt with it. First for weeks, then for months, and then for years, until the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, kept dripping into my heart and transformed and changed me into someone who wanted to follow Christ, not by, by me wanting to do it, but because the Holy Spirit had inspired that in my heart. I think sometimes about their patience. And when we started Crosswalk and we said, we want this to be a church for unchurched people, I can tell you the model in my mind was the Yearies, who so patiently helped me along. But another model in that could be this church in Thessalonica or this church as it's developed. I think one of the reasons why so many amazing people are here part of Crosswalk is you fully bought into this idea that this is a place where if people have doubts or if they have questions, even if they have resistance to Christianity, together we're here to serve them, love them, 
Take it in, be patient, and see what the Holy Spirit might do, even if it takes weeks, months, and years. See, that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's what the years did for me. That's what we hope to do for the people of this community. You see, we live as public Christians, don't we? Not private. God has called us to be public about our faith. He writes in his second letter to the Thessalonians, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We live as public Christians, but that doesn't mean we're harsh, unbending, that we, that we get angry and frustrated with those who have doubts and questions. No, it means we embrace them, we love them, we help them, and yet we also don't hide from them. We don't conceal and cover up, which is a huge temptation in our world today, isn't it? Because today's world is different even from 20 years ago. A lot of times, if in your workplace or in your neighborhood, you simply start to say, I'm a Christian, you kind of want to hold those words back and not live as a public Christian because you, you know that the eye roll is coming or the just, hey, it was nice talking to you. Maybe we'll see you sometime soon. And that's if they're kind. We live as public Christians according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live determined as the Apostle Paul was that no matter how small we are, no, no matter how insignificant we and our efforts might seem, we are devoted to sharing this amazing message. Paul writes, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Paul might have written, my only aim is to be that little, small screen and tell the truth amidst all the world's lies. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Write this down. Imagine the impact we will make if we more fully depend on God's grace, respond by serving to his glory, and look forward to Jesus' return from heaven. I want to let Alberto and Dolores share their story with you. And the first question I actually asked Alberto and Dolores was a simple question. Tell us about your journey of faith. So we'll play their answer. Uh, I remember as a young kid, you know, I didn't speak English and me, I was being raised by my grandmother and uh, this Marine, we lived by a Marine station in the town we lived in and it was, I remember being five years old and it was the first time I heard of Jesus. He, he spoke Spanish and uh, unfortunately I would love to be able to meet this guy again to thank him, but you know, it's been over 40 some years, but he invested in me. It was the first time that we prayed around a dinner table, and it's the first time I remember hearing Jesus. So as time goes on, you know, seeds kept on getting planted. Uh, different people decided to invest in this kid, and uh, 
I wasn't ready at the time, but those seeds were planted early. Then, you know, I started going to ASU, and uh, at ASU, you go through the whole partying scene, and I, I remember actually a good friend of mine, still a real good friend of mine, we speak weekly for the last 20-something years, uh, he was 18 years old, and he said, well, I really want to be a youth pastor, and you know, I made fun of him, and uh, we talk about that quite often, actually, but uh, he, uh, a couple years later, you know, I, I believe that many of us go through the stage in our lives where you become a young adult and you start asking the questions, why are we here? What is our purpose? And, and, and like many of us, I went through that stage and he was one of the people I went with. Two years later, he's reading the Bible with me, teaching me about Christ. And, uh, you know, he made the investment in me. At that same time is when I started dating my future wife. You know, here we are 22 years later. <laughs> And, Good job, he remembered. But it, I'm, I will always be thankful to those people who invested in the kingdom, investing in me, even though I might have not been ready at that time. I would describe my experience as more of a consumer of Christianity. I kind of, was, it was that vitamin that I took and, you know, it does its job and I should be fine. And it was uh, when I got to college and I started questioning what do I really believe is what I believe is it really true and how do I know and I didn't <laughs> want to do the blind faith thing anymore. And it was about that time that um, we met and it was a whole new journey together after that. I asked Alberto and Dolores uh, what their thought was about people from different backgrounds and different gifts and personalities coming together. And they gave a pretty interesting answer to that too. Uh, when I moved here from Phoenix or from a small farming community in uh, Southern Arizona, Yuma, uh, I moved here to go to ASU and I heard over and over, whatever you do, don't go to South Phoenix. <laughs> and uh, I can't tell you how many times I heard that. Well. When I finally did come to South Phoenix, I thought it was beautiful. Everything's relative. Growing up in a <laughs> farming community uh, and coming to South Phoenix, I thought it was nice. You know, and so one of the things that I really love about this community is the diversity. You know, my kids have grown up uh, playing sports at the YMCA, the uh, Salvation Army on Broadway, the Ray Kroc Center, well, the nice new one now. Uh, East Lake, uh, the Levine uh, sports, the Phoenix sports, and the diversity is our strength. It, it truly is the strength of the community. Um, if we can leverage the strength of this community and invest it, center it first, it needs to be centered around Christ, and invest it in this community, the possibilities are endless. They truly are. Opposites need to work with each other because if we don't, we don't have no way to fill in those gaps. The people that have been, I would say, maybe opposite to my experiences, they've just built so much of what was probably missing, the empathy, the understanding, the other perspective, and um, it changes our view in a, in, a, in a way that makes us all stronger. Will you take out your notes? Here's the bottom line, and I want us to read this together as we close out this message and pray. You see the bottom line on the bottom of, second, of the second page underline, uh, underneath the memory verse? Could we read this together? 
The more we together lean faithfully and expectantly on God's grace, the deeper the impact our love and service will make in the world. I hope you believe that. I hope you know that. I hope you trust that. The more fully we lean on God's love for us, the more deeply our impact will be in the world around us. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Let's pray. Dear Father in Heaven, we thank you so much that you have brought us into this relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, a relationship of love, a relationship that is represented, first of all, by Christ's service to us. And now, Lord, now that you have called us by the Spirit's power, by the gospel's power to faith in you, to following you, help us to bring glory to your name. Help us to live as public Christians, even though we may feel overwhelmed by the responsibility of it. Lord, we know that you are the power behind everything this church does, behind everything that we as individuals do. Equip us by your Spirit's power to live out our, our lives in service and love toward you as you have first served and loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.